to fulfill the ninth season of the Dayton Women in the Word podcast. Did you know that there are over 300 prophecies pointing to Jesus in the Old Testament? Over and over, the Old Testament shows us that God is a God who keeps his promises, and none more important, the promise of a Messiah who will restore creation to its creator. We are calling this season Fulfilled because we will walk through just a few of these prophecies and see how Christ perfectly fulfills them during his earthly incarnation. Let's listen in as our guests share about one of these fulfillments today. here in season nine, um, which is our season called Fulfilled. So we are looking at prophecies that were made about Christ in the Old Testament and looking ahead to see how he perfectly fulfilled them in the New Testament. So today I'm sitting here with my friend Catherine. Um, So Catherine, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what your life looks like here in Dayton? Yeah, hi, I'm so glad to be here. Um, So I moved to Dayton last summer. Um, my husband is in the Air Force. He's here working on his PhD. Um, it's it's an interesting time right now coming out of the COVID crisis and everything. Um, but um, typically my life looks like taking care of two kids. Um, I also study theology. I have a focus in theology and culture, like mm-hmm. worship and the art and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I go to Fuller Seminary, so I spend a lot of time thinking about things like that. And um doing stuff here at um at apex i go to apex um community church um working with prayer ministry and worship ministry and you know just have a lot of different eggs in a lot of different baskets (laughs) yeah that's awesome (laughs) all right so what prophecy from the old testament um are you going to be talking about today um, so the one that really piqued my curiosity um, was the one on that the Messiah would be the subject of a murderous plot, which would give way to hope. That's awesome. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about what was going on um, in scripture at the time of this prof- prophecy? So who spoke it originally? What was the original audience like? Um, mm-hmm. our, our typical context questions. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, I, I feel like with this um, particular prophecy, you could go to so many different parts of Scripture. But um, we're today we're looking at Jeremiah 31. Um, I'll, I'll go ahead and just read the two mm-hmm. verses um, to help give some context. Um, verses 15 and 16. Thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Thus says the Lord, keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for there is a reward for your work, declares the Lord, and they shall come back from the land of the enemy. And so um, at the time that this was spoken um, by the prophet Jeremiah, um, we were um, in a time is the people of Israel were going into captivity under the Babylonians. And so um, I, I really like the way these two verses represent 
a juxtaposition um, thematically within scripture that um, when we're looking, when we're thinking about the idea of the murderous plot that's giving way to hope, you really see that theme coming out in this, how um, the people are going into, so a voice is heard in Rama. Rama was actually the place where the exiles were herded into Babylonian captivity. And so um, it's kind of interesting viewing this as a framework where they're going into this place, this, this environment of hostility, um, but then it's going to give way to hope. And so I, I like to think about this from the concept of Israel as a family. You know, Rachel's weeping for her children. She, um, uh, according to some, is considered like a quintessential like like symbol of um, sorrow, you know? Mm-hmm. And so um, she refuses to be comforted for her children. So we're thinking about God's family and this familial strife, this, this theme of hostility. Um, and then how that is represented through the concept of exile, how that's represented through division. And then in verse 16, God is responding and he's saying, how, how is this pattern going to shift? Mm-hmm. Um, keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears. Um, the, the children are going to come back from the land mm-hmm. of the enemy. And so we see exile and return, hostility to reconciliation, division to unity. And so what I really love to do, I wish I could go through so much of it. Um, I want to go back to Genesis and I want to think about the first murderous plot that happened in scripture through the story of Cain and Abel. And I wish I could go through like all the different stories about family dysfunction in Genesis because there's like so much. Because <laughs> um, I just, I, I really see that that it's like through this prophecy that's pointing towards what Christ, the shift that was going to take place mm-hmm. in Christ and the work done on the cross, you can see how this pattern plays out through family dynamics and society dynamics through history from the beginning of scripture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think like when we talk about context and looking, you know, looking at these, especially these prophetic books, I think a lot of times, I know at least I don't I don't want to speak for everybody, all of our listeners, but I know for me, a lot of times that historical component, I don't have as much understanding of so you know you read you read these encouragements and like they're encouraging in and of themselves but then you remember you know these people were taken out of their their homeland that they were promised for so long Mm -hmm. and then because of their disobedience they're being removed Mm -hmm. and so this message of hope of what's to come becomes that much stronger you know us here in our western culture we don't we haven't most of us haven't had that experience of being mm-hmm. removed and feeling hopeless and mm-hmm. then to have this word of hope given to us. Now, you know, we also have the challenge of wanting to be instantly gratified and we know that that is not often the way things work in scripture. So, you know, the hope is to come, but to understand, you know, what you've kind of explained with where the Israelites were at when they were hearing this and where they had um kind of how they had gotten there. Mm -hmm. So they had had, again, another broken relationship with the God who continued to promise to care for them, but they were still reaping the consequences of what they Mm -hmm. had done over the years. Yes, and to take that, if I may, Mm -hmm. um, take it to kind of an anthropological level um, when we're talking about this, um, the juxtapositions of hostility and reconciliation um, and taking it into the family dynamics that we see 
through scripture, I mean, really, it's something that we all understand. Like, and I, I imagine that a lot of women might be listening to this, and we all know what it is um, to have this envy, this covetousness, this comparison that pits us against mm-hmm. one another. Mm-hmm. And that's something that's really on my heart for this, um, the power of this messianic prophecy, because we see throughout scripture, um, when our eyes mm-hmm. are not fixed upwards and it's fixed to the left or the right mm-hmm. or in envy or coveting what another person has, um, then then we lose sight of God as Father mm-hmm. and brothers and sisters. And so um, if you want to go with me to um, Genesis um, chapter, it's chapter 4. Cain and Abel. Yeah, so this was the first really murderous plot that happens in Scripture after the fall, right? And we we all know the story of, you know, that Cain and Abel, they brought the sacrifices, and then everything that happened with God, and he's he favored, he accepted Abel's, and then Cain in, um, let's see, so he was, oh, oh, he was very angry, it says in verse 5, and his face fell. Um, and the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. And then Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And then when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, this is key for me. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? That, for me, the not having the eyes upward and then having that covetousness that brings us to this place of hostility, we we come to this place where we think, am I my brother's keeper? Mm -hmm. You know? And so I feel like that's key for seeing how the um the the murderous it's foreshadowing the type of murderous plot where we're that happened with Jesus that happened on the cross because he was crucified in his innocence because people turned on him because clearly we understand that they were wanting a political mm-hmm. revolution right mm-hmm. and then Jesus was bringing something more mm-hmm. and so instead of keeping eyes upward and eyes open eyes open and and instead there was this veil that I I believe was kind of shrouded in sin as it manifests in envy and covetousness Mm -hmm. so um that that's a really interesting kind of pattern to see here um and I love what so God says next in verse 12 that you shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth and that's a really interesting way connecting it back to the the prophecy in Jeremiah 31 because we think about the Israelites as mm-hmm. sojourners going into Babylonian captivity mm-hmm. and we see that first um, the pattern here um, so this is really the beginning of societal violence where two brothers are pitted against one another uh, so I um, I really also wanted to look at um, Rachel as this quintessential figure of mourning and sorrow because one of the, after looking at the first example of societal violence through the story of Cain and Abel, um, we see, I believe, is like one of the most powerful representations of how um, you see in Jeremiah 31 verses 15 and 16 
um, when there's the subject of the murderous plot, but it gives way to hope. We see that through Rachel's children and, and the way it manifests um, in the story of Joseph and his brothers and everything that happened with Benjamin. And this, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll just touch on this in Genesis chapter 35. Um, this, um, that gives us a little bit more context to why Rachel is the mother of Israel and how it's foreshadowing and pointing towards into the New Testament. Um, in chapter 35, if we look at verse 16, I'll start there. Um, um, or actually I'll start in 18. Okay. And as her soul, Rachel was departing for, she was dying. She was giving birth to a son mm-hmm. and she called his name Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. And so Benoni, it can, there, there are so many different ways mm-hmm. to interpret the meanings and everything, but I, I think it's really interesting that it could mean son of my sorrow. But then um, his father said, no, his name is Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. Mm-hmm. And another interesting thing is that she was buried on the way to Bethlehem too. Mm-hmm. And so you get another interesting yeah. framework in this passage. That there's this, there there's this death, mm-hmm. but it's on the way to hope. What we would understand to be mm-hmm. hope on the way to Bethlehem and the life that that was brought forth into the world um, and the life of Christ there. Um, and so you're seeing this pattern of death to life, um, sorrow to um, right hand often um, represents strength and honor when we talk about God's right hand. And so, so there's this um, beginning of this reversal, this juxtaposition. And we see that manifest in the story of um, Joseph and how he was Mm -hmm. brought into the captivity by the murderous plot that was set forth by the strife of the brothers pitted against each other out of jealousy once again. And then we see how God, but God, right? It's Mm -hmm. always, but God takes him in to Egypt and raises him up and, I love how the whole interplay with um, that you see between Joseph and his brothers when the brothers come to Egypt, coming mm-hmm. from this position of famine into prosperity. And then this, you know, it's this is what I love about the Bible, right? There's like all these little details. I wish I could get into all of them. They're so amazing. But um, with Benjamin, right? And so you almost see like he's setting this thing up like, no, you have to bring Benjamin, mm-hmm. your um, the youngest brother. And then they end up protecting him. And so I, what I see in this is that there's this reversed ending where Joseph was a subject of the murderous plot, but then he was raised up. And it kind of foreshadows this redemption, this redeemer. Mm-hmm. And Benjamin, um, he was going to be the son of the sorrow, but then he's the son of the right hand. He mm-hmm. is the redeemed, right? Because he didn't end up receiving the punishment that was set up for him. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of foreshadowing the famine to the prosperity and the death into life that we see in Christ. Um, um, So I love again how it it just gets at, I feel like as an Israelite, when you're reading this from the context of the book of Jeremiah and remembering the stories of your people, Mm -hmm. seeing that there there was this murderous plot but then the Lord says, no, I'm going to return my children. I'm going to take care of my children. And so um, I just, I really think that it's important that as we read through the Old Testament and through scripture, like we just see this framework that's constantly building mm-hmm. on so many levels, but especially on an anthropological level of um, the way that that the people of scripture engage with one another, with their brothers, with their families, and how they can't 
we can't do it without the work of the cross. We can't, we don't deserve it. We need a redeemer. Mm-hmm. When we even see, you know, as Jesus's earthly story mm-hmm. is starting, you know, that, that theme of, you know, the enemy trying to use a murderous plot to overthrow it then where, you know, Herod tries mm-hmm. to stop everything and kill all, yep. you know, I'll just kill everybody and hopefully that'll take care of my, my threat. Mm-hmm. And of course we know that wasn't successful so that, you know, we start to see little glimpses of that again yes, in the New Testament. Yes, exactly. That's exactly where oh, I was no, going to go steal? next. I segued. No, I, didn't, I thank promise you. I didn't know. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. You're, you're, help, you're keeping me on track. It's good. It's good. <laughs> yeah, so that's the, that's the historical fulfillment of the Jeremiah, um, the Jeremiah prophecy. And when we're looking in the book of Matthew, um, we can go to chapter 2. It's verses um, 16 through 18. Um, yeah, so it says, then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And there's that, there's that envious hostility, mm-hmm. right? And then he sent and killed all male children in Bethlehem and then all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet mm-hmm. Jeremiah. And then we see a quotation of verse 15. And this is the thing that I find fascinating here and I think Matthew knew what he was doing because I think in the book of Matthew there is a lot of themes like the just the way that he speaks that's um cause and effect and there is really a motif of conflict and hostility and how it's resolved in the life Mm -hmm. of Christ in the book of Matthew um how it's um yeah resolved in Christ um so the what fascinates me about this passage is it only quotes verse 15. So you see the voice was heard in Rama, the weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted. And then you don't get a quote of 16. And so if I were to guess, if I was listening through my culture, my Hebrew culture to this, I would be asking, well, then where's the hope? Mm. I I would be looking forward. What comes next? Mm -hmm. Where is the hope? And so I feel like that really gives us insight into how to even read this as a messianic prophecy. Mm -hmm. Because when we're reading it through that historical context and reading it in light of what, what the prophet Jeremiah spoke, there is this unresolved hostility mm-hmm. and we need to look forward to that that resolution because thus says the lord mm-hmm. he is going to bring the children back so through my ears i would say i would be saying like okay god what are you going to do next and i think matthew knew that mm-hmm. when he was writing this mm-hmm. I, I feel like that was one of the aims that's my personal yeah. opinion at least <laughs> and correct me if i'm wrong but you know we we always love talking about the context and the original author and the original mm-hmm. hearers which we kind of talked about a little bit but if i'm not mistaken what wasn't matthew's gospel because you know we see a lot of overlap with the gospels mm-hmm. and you know some include something some include others but if i remember correctly and this is really tapping into my undergrad bible class memory so i could be off that matthew was very much oriented to the jewish audience mm-hmm. so to help them recall yes. hey remember yes. our writings yes so to point Indeed. point their focus back like you know 
we're setting up who Jesus is, that he he is the fulfillment of this Messiah that you've been hoping for. Oh, yes. It, you know, makes sense. And, of course, we, we see throughout the New Testament references mm-hmm. back to the Old, but that, mm-hmm. you know, if one of his main goals was to help the Jews see that their Messiah had come, mm-hmm. let's use our own sacred text to remind you of, like, what God said to yes. our, yes, our forefathers. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, that's that's one of the things that that I love about the book of Matthew. Um, and and furthermore, like when we're talking about this context of um, reconciliation, moving from hostility to re- reconciliation and the work that was done on the cross, like I was I was thinking about the context of of the Hebrew ears, the Israel people, the Israelite people. And um, just thinking more and more about the universal salvific power that we see that um, reconciles all people, not just mm-hmm. Rachel's children as maybe they might interpreted it. Mm-hmm. And that's why I really wanted to go to the book of Ephesians and think about um, the way that, um, and we could get into like, who's the author and all this kind mm-hmm. of stuff, but we'll, we'll ignore that. Let's, let's just say it's Paul and not get into the, all this speculations. Um, so let's say Paul. Um, and I, I like, I like, okay, so now we're here in, um, thanks. I'm like totally jumping around. Um, Ephesians chapter two, where it's talking about where that we're one in Christ, um, verses, let's say verses 11 through, 19. Let's do that. And I I think that it would be helpful just, I'm going to read through that. And if we can just all be kind of like absorbing it prayerfully and thinking about how that it's not Jews or Gentiles in the context of this Greco-Roman world and how Christianity was emerging during this time, but, and, and really like hearing it through our current ears of societal reconciliation and everything as well. So Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one man in the place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Isn't that amazing? Mm-hmm. It's so amazing. And I and I just love thinking forward to that, like beyond, like, what we conceive as the children of God, um, what we understand to be God's chosen people and how he's reconciling all people mm-hmm. to him as one flesh, breaking down the dividing wall of hostility um, because peace is a person. Mm-hmm. 
It's mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. And and he broke down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And the other thing that I love in here, it's really um, pointing us back to if to the to the people who might read this that were familiar with the prophet Jeremiah, that um, that we were once strangers and aliens, we were mm-hmm. once sojourners. Mm-hmm. So like again, drawing that motif, that pattern of exile mm-hmm. and return, that it's not just the exile of a specific people group in a specific geographic location, mm-hmm. but the exile of sin and from, I mean, Babylon, we understand from later in the book mm-hmm. of Jeremiah that, um, I, I forget exactly where it says, but you know, it says when he's telling Jeremiah, like wrap all these words up and tie it to a stone and mm-hmm. sink it. And, and there we really see Babylon as a symbol of, um, of sin yeah. and how the sin is sunk. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and pointing to the work that Jesus did on the cross. And so it's just like, it's, it's so, it's so powerful to me to see this, like this full reversal of hostility in reconciling all people. And I really think that if we're looking back at that first murderous plot, right, with Mm -hmm. Cain and Abel, I think through Jesus, with Jesus as our peace, we're really able to say, I am my brother's keeper Mm. because I belong to him. I know I belong to him and I know we are one in Mm -hmm. the family of God, you know? So, um, we kind of, I feel like we've already kind of addressed this question super fully, but I guess, you know, one of our last questions on here is what does this fulfillment tell you about God? So if you had to, if somebody forced you to pare this all down to one sentence, how would you, um, describe what this reconciliation prophecy means about God. Mm. Yes, it, I mean you you use the the keyword right there that God is a God of reconciliation. Mm-hmm. That what we could not do on our own strength through sin, through um, envy and covetousness, and the ways that we are pitted against one another. God is our father. Mm-hmm. He is a good father who sent his son to reconcile us to him and to one another. He gives us the gift of peace mm-hmm. through him. And then he calls us to be ministers of that same reconciliation. Yes, yes. And what a gift it is that I, I think what's... Um, what really encourages me in this in this day and we've been thinking a lot about reconciliation between races this year mm-hmm. and um that we can trust that before the scales fell from our eyes before we even recognized things like systemic racism before we recognized the competitiveness in our stay-at-home mom groups or between this and that i mean there are so many things right mm-hmm. Um, God is the same yesterday, today, and mm-hmm. forever. He was always a God of reconciliation. Mm-hmm. The, um, this has always flooded his heart. Mm-hmm. It's always something that's been important to him. And um, he is the one that unites us as his family. Mm-hmm. And so that, that when we're putting our trust in him as our rock, that we can trust that he's going to do what he says he's going to do mm-hmm. because he is, it's in his character and mm-hmm. it's in his nature and it can't be taken away. He is a God of reconciliation. Yeah. 
as we kind of wind down and we could talk about this for days and days and yes. days, um, <laughs> Catherine, is there any kind of last encouragements you have for our listeners today? Yes, I would just say, I mean, what I've really needed encouragement in and I that that God is a God of um, covenant and promise. And he says he's going to, whatever he says he's going to do, it will come to pass. And that when we look to him as the keeper of peace, because he is peace, because mm-hmm. peace is a person, we can trust that um, that we will begin to see the glimmerings of, king- of his kingdom in this earth right now. I believe I shall see the goodness mm-hmm. of the Lord mm-hmm. in the land of the living. And um, I just pray that that we can be each other's, that we can be a global network of brother keepers and sister keepers as we walk through life in the daily rhythm of reconciliation, which he sets in us through his Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, thanks for being with us today, Catherine. Mm, Thank you. It was a pleasure. (laughs) 